really couldn't happen to a nicer journalist. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Moodbeam, the first wearable for the mind, a simple device that lets you log how you feel at the push of a button. Visit us at moodbeam.co.uk to order yours. Together, we can change the way the world sees mood. Hello and welcome back to The Really Cast. This week we're heading into the world of journalism and I'm really chuffed that it's my former Metro editor, Yvette Castor, who's sharing her words of wisdom today. As the former communities editor of Metro, Yvette was on a bit of a mission to dispel mental health stigma, which even today in 2019 is no mean feat. As mental health campaigners, we can be quick to think of the media industry as the root of all evil. After all, it was the sun that brought us the infamous Bonkers Bruno headline. But there's no better place to start tackling these age-old mental health stereotypes than as an editor working for a national title. Even better, an editor working for a national title who herself lives with an often misunderstood mental health problem, namely bipolar, the same problem Frank Bruno was diagnosed with. Neither Frank Bruno or Yvette Castor are, as a son might have said, bonkers. But it's a tough, competitive, hard-hitting industry to work in, is journalism. So surely having bipolar disorder removes your competitive edge. Now I have a sneaky feeling our guest today will tell us that that's a whole boatload of nonsense. So a big welcome to Yvette. Hello, how are you doing? Hi, yeah, I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. Um, Well, the podcast series is all about giving stigma a bit of a kicking, so I think we should should start off with, with doing that. I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about the reality of life with bipolar disorder, because there's a lot of stigma around it, and there's a whole lot more to feeling a little bit up and a little bit down, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So bipolar disorder is a mood disorder. I have bipolar 1. There's several kinds of bipolar disorder. There's um, bipolar 1, bipolar 2, um, a few other ones. But the one that I have, um, it means that I have uh, manic episodes. So that means that sometimes I've lost touch with reality. I've had delusions. I've thought that I've sort of had magical powers, that kind of thing. Mm. And then on the other side of things, I've got very depressed. Um, I have been so tired and so unhappy with life and just just wanted to sleep all the time that I haven't been able to leave bed and I've also um, tried to kill myself so they're real really sort of extreme highs and lows. Mm, Very very significant very severe because I suppose that's the thing is that when we use the word bipolar it's easy to think about you know the two extremes but I suppose what people need to remember is that these are two extremes that generally in life if we didn't have that kind of diagnosis, we will never, ever experience. So it's quite hard to imagine it if you've not been there, isn't it? Exactly. It's not really like the Katy Perry lyric, you know, when she says hot and cold, Mm. no doctor's got a bit bipolar. Because I think when she says that, she's kind of meaning she's a bit, somebody's a bit up and down, or they're maybe a little bit hyper or sad. Mm. So you might be able to get a kind of an idea of what it's like. 
but it's not really like that. The other thing that I'd say is, for me at least, I've had huge periods of time when everything's completely normal. Mm. I think sometimes when people think about bipolar disorder, because I've just explained, you know, the dramatic things, you know, losing touch with reality and then um, suicide attempts, mm. they kind of forget that actually there'll be huge periods of time when you're kind of in the middle and things are normal, you can get on with your everyday life. But there's that to it as well. So it's, I mean, for some people, it is a lot more up and down, up and down, and they struggle more. Um, I suppose I'd consider myself quite lucky in that, although I do have this, um, I've got to a place where I'm on mood stabilizers, and most of the time, things are relatively normal. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what a normal brain is like. I just know what my brain's like. So. And how has it affected your life? I mean, obviously, we understand the the symptoms as as you've just explained in terms of your your moods and what you experience there but what kind of impact does it have on on your lifestyle relationships work that kind of thing yeah it's affected pretty much every area of my life if I think about it uh, for good and bad probably originally I would have thought it had been all bad but actually now I think there's been some good aspects to it mm. so if you look at things like work and school so I had my first manic episode when I was 18. So mm. I first lost touch with reality then. And I ended up going to a young person's mental health unit. Uh, I also had started being depressed uh, at the age of 14, so before then. And on a very basic level, uh, that interrupted my studies. So I'd gone from being a straight-A student. I was, I had a reasonable chance of maybe going to Oxford or Cambridge, but I had this manic episode and... It cut into my study time more than anything, so I had to end up going to this mental health unit a lot. Um, and though I, I still did get um, reasonably good A levels, and I did go to university, it wasn't necessarily the one that I wanted to originally. Mm. Although now I think actually that might have been a hot house environment for me. You know, now I look back and I actually think the university that I did end up going to, which was the University of Hull, was brilliant because it was really good for me. It was a change. It was up north. People were from like really different backgrounds. And now I actually think if I'd ended up going to Oxbridge, it might have been a bit too intense and people might have been a bit too similar to me in, in some ways. So, um, yeah, so it's affected sort of my school life back then. It's affected my work. So before I was on mood stabilizers, um, I was, yeah, I was still, I still had bipolar disorder and I was working uh, in regional news. So I started off, so after I went to uni, I did a journalism postgrad. And then I started off on a regional newspaper. Um, I was very lucky because I had a very understanding editor there, uh, but I had a manic episode, didn't really know what had happened. Like I said, he was really great, really understanding, and he was really good in terms of getting me back to work and being very supportive, so I'm very lucky to have had him. Yeah. But again, that also, on a very practical level, you know, that meant time off work and also time to sort of readjust to the, to the working life. Mm. as a busy patch reporter because I was a news reporter then uh, on a paper called the Maidenhead Advertiser um, so it's kind of interrupted work in that way and then there's been other periods through my working career when uh, depression has sort of set in or I've felt things going a bit sort of up again so I've had to take time off so if I'm honest that the the things that I've found harder really have been the way it's cut into stuff like my love life right but it's a bit annoying more than anything so I had a really lovely boyfriend um, who I met at university and we were together and I it was one of those sort of situations where you know at the time it felt like he was the love of my life 
Mm. I ended up having a manic episode and having delusions. And during that manic episode, I dumped him. Right. And um, so, so, yeah, and then following that, I had the typical sort of like come down. I came out of it and I wasn't really sure what was going on and sort of what I wanted to do. And we never really recovered from that. I did see him again after that. So we did spend time together, but we'd just sort of both moved on a bit. And yeah, so that was quite chaotic, I suppose. Mm. And then it has affected my love life in other ways now because um, I'm single at the moment. So there's always that slight thing at the moment where I think, should I tell a prospective partner or um, at what point do I tell a prospective partner? It's a bit of a tricky one. And then, yeah, so relationships in the past, I mean, I'm not going to put a massive down on it. Like some, I've had some great relationships. And to be honest, like the majority of them have just ended because, you know, they've just ended. I've I've got a bit bored of them. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's not, it's not, it'd be nothing to do with mental health. It's just the natural course of relationships. Mm. But I think it can be a bit annoying and yeah it can be a bit frustrating as a single woman as well in terms of friendships I've got some really good sort of long-term friends who have been supportive but if I'm perfectly honest I think I'm more honest about bipolar disorder with readers and with listeners than I am sometimes with my own friends because I like to keep my friends as the ones that I sort of have fun with and you know we just chat about boys and you know Tom Mm. Harvey and just stuff like that but so that does mean that a lot of them haven't actually seen me in a manic episode. You know, they won't have seen me when I've been depressed. So I think possibly the um, the stigma around it, even though I, I work so hard in terms of my writing to get rid of the stigma, sometimes I just, I can't bear to kind of talk about it more to them because I just, I want to have that place of keeping them at a bit of a distance. Yeah, I suppose that's the thing is that, you know, you talked about as a a journalist and during your your time studying, you you had to take time out. But Mm. I suppose with any kind of physical illness, you may need to take time off work. I suppose the difference is the stigma because it's harder for people to understand. How did your role in tackling mental health stigma begin? When did you start writing about it and what kind of inspired you to write about it at that point yeah so it was back in uh, 2014 and it was for world mental health day so at that time i was working in the office at metro.co.uk as a general writer as a reporter mm. on the blog's team and at the time as part of the team it was part of my job to come up with ideas for really really clickable articles um, really sort of quirky things. I've always been quite an ideas person, so I'd come out with loads and loads of ideas and we'd just kind of pick the ones we thought were good. And a lot of the time we based articles on sort of days. So it was World Mental Health Day 2014. And I just had this sort of moment because up until that point um, for the website, I'd written quite a lot of kind of jokey stuff, you know, not, mm. so, not such serious stuff, things like ranking biscuits, jokey pieces about sex and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But... I just thought, well, why don't I just write something more real for a change? You know, something that's that's clickable because part of my job was to get clicks, to get hits to the website, mm-hmm. but also something that hopefully people could relate to because that's a part of it too, sort of relatable pieces. So I ended up writing this piece, uh, which was called 14 Things You Only Know If You've Gone Mad. 
which I now think is a quite a blunt title, maybe not the best title to give a piece about mental health because, you know, you've got the word mad in there. But that's what I called it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I've never been so scared to write anything. Yeah. Uh, because at that time, you have to remember, I mean, it is like you said, with, when you have a physical illness, you'll get the time off work. But generally, people might know about it because they'll see something, you know, broken your leg. So they'll see the the cast. Whereas with something like mental health issues, you get this choice about whether you want to tell people or not. And up until that point, I just didn't want anyone to know. So mm-hmm. I'd gone through all my career keeping it totally secret. So it was almost like I had two things to deal with. Like I had the bipolar disorder to deal with, but I also had this big secret to deal with. Yeah. So I think we have a lot less of that now, which is great because we have a lot more people talking about it. And I think there is a lot less stigma, but certainly for me at that time, at least, I had these two problems. I had managing bipolar disorder, but I also had this terrible secret or this thing that I felt was a terrible secret. Mm. So I hadn't talked to anybody about it. So anyway, I came up with this idea for a piece. And yeah, I just wrote it. Now I look back at it and it is a fairly sort of blunt piece. It's maybe not the best thing I've written, but it's I'm still quite pleased I did it. And when I hit publish on that, I was absolutely terrified because none of my colleagues knew that I had mental health issues at all. None of them knew that I had bipolar disorder. I'm pretty sure my boss didn't know. Certainly, like, none of the people I chatted to, none of my work friends. But, um, yeah, and my family knew about it, but they knew that, I mean, I'd never written about it, and we certainly didn't really talk about it a great deal. Yeah. Uh, Just that kind of thing that we got on with when things happened. So, yeah, I wrote that piece. I was absolutely terrified, but I wanted to do it anyway. Um... I'm not quite sure why. I think it was partly to do with the fact that I'd got to an age. So I was in my 30s at that point, my early 30s. And um, I think I just, I just, I suppose I just thought, well, what's the worst that can happen? You seem to have a real passion for giving other people a platform as well. Well, that's how it developed. So there was that initial blog that I did. And the, the two things that came out of that were, first of all, the world didn't end, which was, it was a huge shock to me because I thought, I'd thought for so many years, if I tell anybody about this thing, people would ignore me, I'll get, you know, I'll get fired, or I'll get slowly managed out, or, you know, friends will stop talking to me, basically, I'll never get another boyfriend, all these things. But the thing is, none of that happened. Everything was basically fine. Like the next day, I went back into work, just terrified. And there really wasn't much difference. I think I might have had a couple of emails from, you know, friends in in the office saying, oh, well done, that was a good piece or something. But that was about it, I think. It was really underwhelming almost. But also I realised from doing that that I wanted to do more. So it's just a sort of snowball effect. I thought, well, you know, I've done that. So I think I should write some more. So after that, I started writing more about bipolar disorder, more about what it actually meant. And then when I got into the position of uh, running the communities team, so running the blog section, I had the... I was in the position where I could actually make a real difference because, I mean, I could write about bipolar disorder and mental health stuff all day long, but it wouldn't create enough content to kind of get the amount out there that I thought should be out there. And anyway, I mean, I don't know what it's like to have schizophrenia or anorexia or um, disassociative identity disorder. So I basically took it upon myself as part of that role to find people that could write about those things because I just felt very strongly that I just believe very strongly in the truth. 
Yeah. So like at that point, there was lots on the web about experts giving their opinions. So uh, doctors and nurses, and that's great. That's absolutely that should be out there. But I really felt that it should be people who have experienced these things saying what it's like, because you know a doctor can tell you what the diagnosis is or what these things are like, but you know only someone who actually has say schizophrenia can say, well, this is what it's like trying to date when you have to go to a guy. Hi, uh, yeah, I've got schizophrenia, or I might have heard voices. You know, like it's only them that's actually going to be able to explain to people what stigma really is around stuff like that. Mm. You you commissioned a really kind of diverse range of content, didn't you? Because you know there might be explainer pieces, sort of how does it feel to live with X, Y, and Z. But like you just said, applying that to everyday life situations, you know, working while you are experiencing X mental health problem or like you said, being in a relationship or how to talk to friends or, you know, somebody's experience of um, speaking to their parents and getting support. It, w- it was really, really quite varied, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. So my team and I basically took it upon ourselves to, first of all, find uh, writers that could cover this sort of stuff from first-person experience. So that would be a mixture of kind of traditional journalists but also bloggers who wrote specifically about these issues already Mm. and as you say then go into detail so the basics you know what is it like to have this and yeah absolutely the science science behind it so the facts but also what's it like to date when you have such and such Mm. what's it like when you're talking to friends what what's it like when you're at university and you're struggling with it and also things to help family and friends so things to say to somebody who has depression or how you can support somebody who has schizophrenia, that sort of thing. Definitely. Um, and, and also, to be perfectly blunt, so I felt very strongly that it's an important subject. I still feel very strongly that it is. But also, we were finding as well, if I'm honest, that as we were doing this content, it was getting good traffic. People were interested. Mm. So it worked on both levels. You know, from my personal point of view, I felt very strongly I wanted this content to be written. But, you know, the editor was happy because it was driving traffic to the site. Yeah. So it, it was kind of win-win, really. Absolutely. And in terms of your career as a journalist, because um, now as a a freelance journalist, obviously you're still um, co-hosting the um, Metro's podcast, Mentally Yours, but you're also writing for a a wide range of national titles as a freelance journalist. Um, So very successful career. Um, But journalism is often considered quite a tough industry, isn't it? Would you say it's a particularly tough industry for people experiencing mental health problems or does that really make no difference? That's a really interesting question. It reminds me of something that my GP said to me a while back when I told her that I was going into journalism. Mm. And she said, why have you chosen that profession? That's really that's a really stressful profession. And I, and I, I just sort of looked at her and I didn't laugh, but I just thought, why is this going to change my life? I just, from after uni, I knew very strongly that I wanted to write and that I wanted to be a journalist. So it never really occurred to me that I would not do that just because I had bipolar disorder. Yeah. If anything, just because I'm a very stubborn person, it made me feel even stronger that actually this was absolutely what I was going to do. Uh, I think when the doctor said that to me, I felt like she almost thought, well, why didn't this girl just go and be a librarian or you know, work in a nice tea shop or become a gardener. It's usually very calming. Mm. Maybe that would have been better for my mental health. But I just really wanted to do this thing and I didn't see why I shouldn't. 
Um, but you're absolutely right. There are elements of the newsroom, um, being a journalist, that can be very stressful. You know, you're working to deadlines, you're under a lot of pressure, and, you know, it's long hours a lot of the time. It can be incredibly stressful. Um, but I think, I don't think that you should be put off doing any career just because you have a mental health issue. So I think, but what I would say from years of experience from working in newsrooms, working on regional newsrooms, working on national newspapers, all sorts, is the best thing you can do is know your own kind of limits, know the sort of things that are going to keep you mentally well in the same way that you might take steps to keep yourself physically healthy, try and take steps to keep yourself mentally well. Yeah. So do things like take your lunch break, which might sound like a very obvious thing, but in an environment like the newsroom, you do get offices where, not metro, but I've been to other ones as a freelance where people just do not take any breaks at all. Mm. And that's very bad for anybody's mental health, whether you have a long-term mental health issue or not. So just saying to yourself, I'm going to work better if I have this break, things like that. And in terms of stress, finishing, if you can't finish on time, then maybe just saying finishing half an hour later or an hour later, but putting these sort of limits on yourself. And then things like when you get home or when you finish work, turning your phone off, looking at books, reading, meditating, rather than looking at screens when you get home, Mm. taking some exercise, trying to eat sort of healthy, nutritious food rather than junk food. They're all small things and probably things that I'm sure everyone has heard before, but they can be very useful. Mm. One of the biggest things that has really helped me personally has been meditation. So I do that every morning for 20 minutes just with the Headspace app. That's one I like, but you don't have to use an app. You just do it anywhere. Mm. Uh, And that's been really helpful. And also um, just kind of getting out and walking and running has been good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Newsrooms can be very stressful. You are under a lot of pressure. But I think there's probably a lot of jobs that are like that. And the other thing that I'd say is it, if you're the sort of person I am anyway, like you could be in any kind of job and put pressure on yourself. I mean, I remember when I used to work at WH Smith and I put pressure on myself to be the one to, you know, sell, well, not sell, but like give away the most loyalty cards and then win this toy. Mm. So like you can be in any job and put a lot of pressure on yourself and just say, oh, I have to work really hard. I have to be the best. You know, you could be a waitress. I started off as a waitress in a pub. You could put yourself under a lot of pressure there and say, you know, I have to be perfect. I have to smile at everyone. I have to be really good at my job. And you can end up getting stressed about that. Um, Uh, I'm going to ask you something slightly controversial. I say it's controversial because um, I've read studies on this. I've heard people argue for and against it. Um, But I'd be interested in your view. Um, As a journalist, as a writer, you are very creative you are a naturally creative person um is that something that you see as part of Yvette or is that something that you feel um some of the the extreme moods that you've experienced has inspired if that makes sense that's a very interesting question for a long time I thought that bipolar disorder was a completely separate thing to me and it was something that I completely wanted to get rid of you know if someone had said to me have this pill and it would just be gone from your life forever then I would have taken it in a heartbeat especially back when I was 18 and I felt like it was just this thing that was ruining my life or had ruined my life but now I think 
it's it's hard for me to separate what is bipolar disorder from me because I am quite a creative person. Like when we come up with projects, I do tend to have lots and lots of ideas. And when when we start doing a new thing, like for example, when I was involved in coming up with um, Metro's apps, I had loads and loads of ideas. And now I think, well, is that maybe partly to do with how my brain works? Because yeah, it's hard to know where where bipolar sort of stops and I start. Mm. So. And that's sort of why now I think actually it is just this part of me that I've had to learn to accept. And yeah, you're right. I mean, when, I mean, before I was on mood stabilizers and when I was going sort of write up, there would definitely be a, a massive stage of just writing and writing and writing. Mm. Some of that stuff would be rubbish, <laughs> especially when I'd end up sort of in mania and it was just, you know, delusions and all this stuff that really didn't, didn't make sense. But in hypermania, which is kind of the stage before that, you do get a lot done and you get a lot out and you have loads of ideas. Yes, some of them are bad ideas, but some of them are great. Mm. And what I've found throughout my working life is if I can find somebody who's a filter, so I've had bosses like this has been really great, so I've basically thrown them loads and loads of ideas. Um, if As long as I have somebody who's the filter that goes, this is a good idea, this is a good idea, this is a good idea, then it's actually quite a good way to work because we can come up with some really interesting things and maybe things that other people might not have come up with mm. just because my brain does work in a certain way so it's it's about accepting that you have experienced these extremes um these extreme moods which sometimes can be as you said devastating but because you've learned to live with them you know what medication suits you you take steps to manage your well-being there are certain elements that you can embrace as well yeah definitely also I'd say I never thought I'd say this when I was 18 but certainly having gone to a young person's mental health unit having basically gone mad when I was very young Mm. it's given me a very different outlook on life so it's made me appreciate life a lot more I mean when you've well, when you've tried to pull yourself for quite a young age, mm. you know, like, you you tend to see, well, I've personally taken this away from it, that I every day is basically like a gift, because when I woke up after that day, I didn't expect to be there, and so it's almost like now when I wake up, I sort of think, well, you know, this is, this is almost like a bonus, really, because yeah. there's probably this other whole universe, if you believe in multiple universes, where... Um, you know, there just isn't where I just died when I was 18. So mm-hmm. every day is a gift. And also it's given me a lot of perspective just in terms of life and, you know, how important something like work is in relation to friends and family. And I think it's made me maybe more empathetic and it's, I think it's made me a better, hopefully a better journalist just because I'm more open-minded perhaps than I might have been otherwise. So, yeah, I think there's there's been benefits to it. Initially, I really didn't think there were. I thought it was the worst thing to ever happen to me. But it's it's opened my mind up uh, in a way as well. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think from the um, point of view as well of someone who's experienced panic attacks, certainly when I've been in the middle of a panic attack, it's the most terrifying, awful thing. And, and you know, you... you almost come down from it and you just don't ever want to experience it again but then in other ways 
I find that if I'm relaxing with a book or, or, or even just doing really mundane things like sitting and having my tea and watching Netflix, that I really do appreciate the fact yeah. that I can relax. And, you know, I think you do look at things differently because you've you've either been like you've very, very, you know, in a very dark place or you've been very, very manic or someone who's been very, very anxious or all of those things things are quite extreme and allow you to appreciate the opposite in a way don't they yeah definitely yeah. I mean I still get unhealthy you know I'm still that's the thing with bipolar disorder it's a long-term mental health issue I'm going to have ups and downs forever but when I have the the normal bits I do really appreciate them and you're right it's the little things mm. so going out for a walk and seeing a really beautiful sunrise and I know everyone can appreciate that and that's you know, that's, that's good, but it's sort of just being healthy, I really appreciate. I think maybe that's something that maybe some people won't appreciate until they're older, you know, when their health goes, yeah. because I was so unhealthy at, at a young age. Now, when I am healthy, I do think, you know, this is good, <laughs> you know, this is really good, it's going well. Mm. And, yeah. and back to um, journalism again, You're, you, you've, you've recently gone freelance, but not only that, you've started performing stand-up. <laughs> so you've you've gone from um whilst you know being a, an editor is certainly not a, a kind of a a nine to five. You've gone from a very when I say routine, I don't mean in terms of the content of the job, but you know kind of five days a week role to going freelance and then literally performing in front of. Alive, or I mean, I can't think of anything more daunting. Why? What made you decide to to head in these directions? I think I just like the challenge, to be honest. I mean, the person to thank for that really is this guy on Twitter called he calls himself Kit Lovelace. Kit Lovelace, although that's his pseudonym. Hmm. But he organises these nights called Romantic Misadventures, and it all came about that um, a friend of mine in the office was saying, "Oh, we should go to this night." It's really funny. People just get up on stage and talk about their funniest stories of things going wrong in their love life. And I thought, wait a minute, this is perfect for me. I've got <laughs> so many stories. I can tell you story after story of my horrible love life. Please, this sounds amazing. So we went along to one and I listened and I just thought, this is incredible because it was very funny. It was, but it was also a really nice, supportive atmosphere. He yeah. still runs them if anyone's interested. They're usually at the Black Heart in Camden. Mm-hmm. So it's called Romantic Misadventures. And yeah, so I listened and I thought this is great. And then after I'd been once, I, I found him on uh, on Twitter and I, I said, look, can I come and do one of them? And I basically just got hooked on it after that. So the first time I did that, I wrote out my little script of things I was going to say, my terrible love life. And then I got up on the stage and I read it out. And I'm, it's a weird feeling because just the next, basically the next morning, I just felt so happy. Mm. Like I, I just, I can't describe it. But <laughs> just, I think I'm just a natural show off. I mean, I've always been a bit of a show off anyway, because I've always been sort of really into singing and drama and stuff like that anyway. So yeah, like the, the stage is not a scary place for me. It's quite, in, in a way, it's actually quite a safe place for me because I'm in total control of what's going on there. Mm. That might sound a bit odd, but you know, like real life for me, is just chaos. Like I don't know what's going to happen, but on the stage, I know exactly what's going to happen because I've written it. Yeah, yeah. So the stand-up thing was the biggest challenge because I hadn't done anything like that before, and 
yeah, now it's, I suppose it's just, I like doing it because it makes me feel good, but it's also just a challenge. I feel like if I can make anybody laugh, that's just the best feeling ever because there's so much, you know, crap stuff going on in the world, so much stress and all that sort of stuff. If you can just take people out of that for a second, it's just a really lovely feeling. Well, I absolutely <laughs> applaud you for for doing it because I just, I I can only imagine it being daunting. And I was I was interviewing um, US comedian Amber Toza, who um, she writes more now for sort of TV and animation, um, but she started her career very early in stand up and and. I was saying, you know, some people, even just being in the audience, are so daunted about, you know, having to sit in the front row or <laughs> what have you. But people are getting up on stage and literally bearing their souls and making people laugh. And it's a very self-deprecating thing as well. Um, so I just think it's amazing. Um, but in terms of your ongoing um, journalism, you are uh, yourself a host of a very well established podcast which you do with Ellen Scott who is um, lifestyle editor at Metro could you tell us a bit about the podcast and where people can find it yes absolutely so that's the weekly mental health podcast called mentally yours we've been doing that for nearly two years now I'm really proud of that it's my baby basically <laughs> but every week uh, you can listen to it on iTunes, on Audio Boom, on Spotify, uh, on SoundCloud, and I'm just so proud of it. I'm, that is honestly, it's like my little baby. We started that up just because Ellen and I really wanted the conversation about mental health to be on a different platform. So we knew we wanted to do this thing, and we just went for it really. And again, it was kind of similar to the blogs, the pieces that I was commissioning initially. So it's more about hearing from people who have experience of mental health issues. So it's not really so much about celebrities, although we've been very, very lucky. We've had some brilliant celebrities on there too that have given us their time. Mm. But it's always been more about getting somebody on who has experienced um, anxiety or panic attacks and just saying, you know, this is what it's like for me. And then they kind of talk about their relationships and their friendships and family and basically just what it's like. So just people in normal jobs who do normal stuff, but they happen to have this thing. So we've had people talk about schizophrenia, uh, disassociative identity disorder, borderline personality disorder. We've had people from all different kinds of backgrounds. Um, we've had people who've had um, heroin addictions or recovering addicts. We've had men, we've had women. We've had um, people from, like I say, all different kind of backgrounds. And I feel I'm very proud of it, to be honest. Um, I'm really pleased because we, um, we got shortlisted for my media award last year and I just I couldn't believe it when we were just there mm. it was just um yeah it was a it was just a really incredible sort of moment to to be in the room with all these other brilliant people who do so much work in terms of raising awareness around mental health but anyway and it just goes to show how engaging and impactful the content that you have been commissioning creating is um metro for the the blogging work that that you were working on was shortlisted wasn't it one year and then the next year it's taking the formats of podcast and again being shortlisted so it really is resonating with people generally but also people in the media industry who see a lot of value in it that was just really lovely to be honest I mean it's it is really nice and the thing is it's not about awards at all but it's it's nice to be recognized mm. um and I'm just pleased to be 
continuing to write about this stuff and talk about this stuff and make the podcast. And we've also got our first live event coming up in April. So I'm very, very excited about that. Um, so to follow um, what's coming up then, if people um, Google Mentally Yours, that's right, that's right. Mentally Yours, and they can follow you on Twitter as well, can't they? What's your Twitter handle? So the Twitter handle is Mentally YRS, Mentally Yours. Mm-hmm. My own personal one is Yvette Castor, so that's just at Yvette Castor. Um, if you want to follow Ellen, who's my co-host, she's uh, Ellen Scott. Um, we also had have a really lovely Facebook group which is all about mental health stuff. And that's also called Mentally Yours, if you search for that. Um, Yeah, and that would be nice. Well, I strongly recommend that people do follow because, as you say, I mean, I've I've listened to some of the episodes. They're absolutely brilliant and definitely worth following. Oh, just before I go, can I also say um, I've started doing weekly bipolar disorder chats as well on my Instagram. Oh, great. on, On Sunday night, at nine o'clock so nine till nine thirty if you go onto my instagram which is just at evac caster again on instagram i do instagram live and we have really nice little chats so the other night we had one about the depiction of mental health in tv shows and films and that was really nice because we were basically talking about the ones that do it well the ones that don't and just kind of suggesting films that are really good and i ended up with a really nice list of films to watch basically oh brilliant So um, come and join me for that if you fancy it as well. Great. So if people search Yvette Castor on Instagram as well. Well, thank you so much. Been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. And um, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for this week. Next week, I'll be chatting with Lionel Joyce about how lived experience can help you be a better chief executive in the NHS. (laughs) 